I want to thank the opportunity, thank the elders and the church council and leaders for asking me to, to serve you this morning. Um, it's a privilege and an honor, but it's also humbling. And the reason I say that is the last time I preached, this elderly lady came up to me and said, John, I'm so thankful for that sermon. And graciously, I said, well, that's okay, you're welcome. And she said, yes, I haven't slept that well in a long time. <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about, we're going to learn and study and listen and hope to understand the presence and power of God. Let me begin by asking you, as I ask myself, are you worried? Are you under stress? Are there things that discourage you? Are there mountains that seem too tall to climb? Rivers too wide to cross? Sometimes when we try to accomplish something and we think we can do it we, and we can't, that's when we're discouraged. Our, our own strength fails us. So I'm going to tell you a story, and you'd be disappointed if I didn't, about Ole and Clarence. Ole was a Norwegian, Clarence was a Swede. And if you know anything about the history of Norway and Sweden, they were bitter enemies for centuries. Not so much now. This is years ago, and they lived across each other from a raging river that they couldn't cross. And they hated each other. They yelled back and forth at each other curses and taunts. Ole, I'm going to come over there and kick your tail. Oh, Clarence, I'm going to go over there and beat you up back and forth forever. So they built a bridge. They found out that somebody built a bridge down the way. So Lena, Ole's wife, says, well then, Ole, you big talker, you. Are you going to go over there and kick Clarence's butt now, are you? Ole says, yeah, Lena, you just watch me. Takes off. He comes back a little bit later. Head kind of down. Kind of sheepish. Lena says, well, then, did you go over there and kick Clarence's butt? I said, no, Lena, I, I, I didn't. Why not? Lena, I didn't know how big he was. What do you mean? I got to the bridge, and it said Clarence, 13 feet 6 inches. <laughs> Pitiful. But that's me. And I'm going to seriously now say, there are Clarences in our life that are just so big that we just can't see how we can defeat them. Let me start out by saying, introducing this by remembering that just recently we celebrated Christmas. And especially to children, a big part of Christmas is gifts or presents. However, what's really amazing about Christmas is the present that God gave to us through his son at Christmas, and that was his presence. I want to share with you this morning how that concept, that relationship is throughout the Bible, and how we can be encouraged to know the fact that God earnestly desires to have a presence with us, to have a relationship with us. He wants to be a part of our lives. We're going to go to God's Word and study how that Word is, is used throughout the Bible. That's where we need to go. Can't cover all the times that it appears in the Bible because it's multiple times, but we'll pick out some 
specific ones that I found interesting. So we'll start in the beginning, which is in the beginning, Genesis. When God created the world, he spoke into existence the heavens, the seas, the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be vegetation, and there was plants and vegetation. Let there be animals to fill the earth, and there was animals. He said, he said, he said. Just his word created everything. But then something very unique happened. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 7, he said, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. I like to think of that kind of figuratively speaking, that God, almighty, omnipotent, powerful, creative God, figuratively knelt down and gently and carefully in the earth that he had created, molded us together, carefully, lovingly, like a sculpture, like Michelangelo has never done. Because remember, he created us in his image, and that's beautiful. And then he did something that I don't think we really comprehend. Then he knelt and breathed into us his spirit, his presence. He breathed into us life, eternal life. And that's where we first experience God's presence in that beginning. It happened again later, as we see with Adam and Eve, although this was an unfortunate time because God was in the garden looking for Adam and Eve who were trying to hide from him. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. This is the first time the word presence appears in the Bible. I think that scene is one of the most beautiful scenes that you can imagine. There it is, the cool of the evening. We in New Mexico, and it's a hot summer day, and the sun goes down, and the temperature drops wonderfully. There's a coolness of the evening that we can enjoy and, and, and just have a special time. He wanted to be with them. He wanted his presence to be with them. It appears from the text on a daily basis they spent time together because he wanted to. He wasn't physically there. It says the sound of the Lord in the garden, but there was no question in their minds that God was there. They didn't have to see him to know and sense his presence. They knew he was there. The words walking with Keep that in mind. We're going to use that throughout my discussion this morning. They would have sensed his presence because that was the design of God's creation. He wanted that. Remember, that's never changed. God wants to be with us. He wants his presence to be with us, just like it was in the garden. And although that was, that was broken through sin, that that was strained, there was a barrier created, he still seeks to have his presence with us. The Bible continues to talk about some special relationships that I think we can gather some interesting information from. The next one is, that I ran across was Enoch. 
in Genesis 5, 21 to 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. And after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had, one other, had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch was 365 years. And it says it again. Enoch walked with God and was not. God took him. There's only a, that's only a few verses we know about Enoch. All we know is that who his father was and who his son was. And he, he fathered some sons and daughters. That's all we know. But yet, there must have been something special that when walking with God in such a way that God said, I'm going to take you up without death. We don't know what that relationship was. It's just a, but we can take from that walking with God is important and it's a developmental relationship attitude. Walking with God. That's what I, I like. The, I love that phrase. Um, I don't think there's anything more special than a walk with somebody. I enjoy walking with my wife Susie, hand in hand. I also enjoy walking with my dog. Not as much. <laughs> but when, when Susie and I are out walking, especially if it's maybe in a park or if it's in the forest or something, and, and there's no distractions, which means you left your cell phone at home, no texting, no calls, nothing, no radio, no TV. It's just you. And you're just enjoying each other. And there's no necessary, there's no special conversation. It's just a special, quiet time. That's what God wants. He wants that special, quiet time with us. The next reference I found in the Bible that I wanted to talk about was God's relationship with Noah. Now, we all know the story of Noah and the flood, but in Genesis chapter 6, we read that God had to blot out man whom I've created. Can you imagine how much that must have troubled God? From Adam and Eve, those special relationship he had, it is so degenerated to that he said, I need to blot out man, they are so evil. How that must have pained him, because we were his creation. But, and I love that word but in the Bible, we read how Noah, in verse 9, was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah. So God selected this one man to maintain that relationship with, and he set him apart, started over with a relationship that he wanted to continue. He had a covenant with Noah, a promise with Noah, an eternal covenant, a relationship that, that we all desire. Noah was righteous, but he was not sinless. Remember, our walk, your walk with God, is not contingent on your being perfect. God walks with us in all of our flaws, in all of our failures, in all of our defeats, and that's when he's probably closest to us. So God wants to walk with us. Then the clone comes Avram, Abram, later to be called Avraham or Abraham. Genesis 17, 1, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Think of this. God chose one person 
to make a special relationship with, to make promises to, give covenants to. It also included the people that we call the Jews. And those covenants have been eternal. I would submit to you that there's no statistical way that there should be a Jew standing and living on this earth. Since the time of Esther, Satan has, has sought to destroy them, to eliminate them, culminating perhaps in the Holocaust. But they're still Jews because God has a covenant with them. And if I'll tell you this, as harsh as I can say, if there ain't no Jews, there ain't no God. Because otherwise he would be a covenant breaker and God is a covenant keeper. He has a relationship with the people like we have with us for we're grafted in and he's a part of who we are. The Moses person is the next one I want to talk about and that is probably one of the most interesting and special relationships that we read in the Bible. One of the most. God began speaking to Moses out of a burning bush. That's how his presence was revealed to Moses. And for multiple times throughout Moses' life, God spoke to him. He called him back to Egypt to have, his, to have God set his people free. He told Moses every time what to tell Pharaoh. Let my people go. Every time through the plagues. And then the last plague, God gave specific directions to Moses, his servant, that he would be able to tell the people how to protect themselves. We call it the Passover. And then going on, as they're in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, God spoke to them every day. Through those years, Moses and the people of Israel knew that God was there. In Genesis 13, verses 21 and 22, the Bible states, And the Lord went before them, meaning the Israelites, by day and a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. Every day, every night, God was there. And they knew it. They sensed his presence. They could see his presence. It wasn't God's face. He was in the cloud. He was in the, the pillar of fire. But they knew he was there. Their God was with him, never leaving him. Then there's that special relationship with Moses. It says, in Genesis 33, 7, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent. The tent he's talking about there is the tabernacle. The tabernacle, remember, was a tent. It was a temporary structure that was picked up, moved on to the next thing, and set down. Not the temple. But Jesus will say, I will tabernacle with you, meaning I will dwell with you. So it says in Moses, he took the tent and pitched it. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called the tent the tent of meeting. In verse 9 it says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And verse 11 is so beautiful. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. I'm sorry, this is a little incomprehensible. Mighty God, the creator of the universe, all-powerful God, wants to be our friend. Jesus is our friend. That's a presence and a relationship that I don't think we really understand. We just need to appropriate it. 
all of this, especially when you see the Jews, we have to understand that God is not a distant God. He's not some cosmic entity or being. They sensed him every day, as we should. Then there's David. Although he messed up with Bathsheba, God referred to David as a man after his own heart. What kind of relationship was that? What kind of presence did, did David sense in God being with him all the time? David wasn't allowed to build the temple. It fell to his son Solomon. And the temple became this permanent, until it was destroyed, place where God would meet his people. But it was on a very limited basis. In the Holy of Holies, once a year, at Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, God would appear, and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people that their sins would be forgiven. And it had to be done year after year after year. But God was there, and they sensed his presence in that temple. The rabbis use the scholastic rabbis of the Old Testament, first part of the New Testament, talking about this glory of God, the glory of God. They use the word Shekinah, it's Shekinah, with a to it. I asked where that came from in Hebrew, the first um, tour guide we had in, in Israel. He explained, he said, well, after 40 years of wandering in the, in the sandy wilderness, <coughs> they were always <coughs> clearing their throat. I don't know if that's true, but it makes sense to me. Shekinah, and it means to dwell or rest. The Shekinah, the Shekinah, as we say, glory of God, is to dwell and to rest with us. That's relationship. That's presence. God in the Old Testament never appeared physically to them. The closest that it happened was in Mount Sinai when God said to Moses, you need to step in the cleft of the rock so that my glory, Shekinah, will pass before you. Can you imagine on that mountaintop working and, and, and speaking to God how Moses must have sensed his presence? So much so that when he came down there was a, an aura around him. That's what the presence of God does to us. Old Testament, we didn't get to see God. And here comes the big but. But, back to Christmas. That present that God gave us was his presence. He came to us in physical form, God and human, in the form of Jesus Christ. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody do that? No other God has ever done that, supposed gods. Nobody's come down to be present because God wanted to know that he was with us. He sent his son to be with us. He sent his son to walk with us. Jesus wasn't just some philosophical teacher. He was one of us. He walked. How many times did he? There weren't, except for riding a burrow, and I can only remember twice that Jesus rode a burrow. One was when he was in his mother's womb on the way to Bethlehem, and the other was the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday that we call it. But he walked. They walked all over. And instead of hopping in a plane and flying, instead of getting in a bus that you don't know anybody, you're walking with his disciples. And all the time you knew that he was teaching and talking and listening and being a part of their life, his presence was visible and he was with them. 
But then we killed him. We crucified him. When I say we, don't blame the Romans. Don't blame any Jews. We did it. Our sins caused him to be crucified. He died for our sins. It's our fault. But Jesus says in chapter 14 of John, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, also called comforter, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The physical presence of Jesus Christ left this earth, but his presence never leaves us as believers, but only as believers. Because it says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. The world is blind to the presence of Jesus. They mock him, they scorn him. They will mock you and scorn you because they don't know and it's our job to tell them. The word comforter, helper, is also translated in the, in the Greek to be strengthener. To come along, not just to comfort us, but to strengthen us. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he said, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So we went from this temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory, to reside in us. We are the new tabernacle. We are the new temple, each one of us. And God dwells in that temple with us. We are with him in the Holy of Holies. God, in Acts 24, didn't leave us alone. He gave us his Holy Spirit, his spiritual presence, which is just as important as any physical presence. In Acts 2, 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the beginning of a continuous, non-ending presence of Christ in us. Galatians 2, 20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Colossians 1, 27, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Ephesians 3, 14 to 17, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened, comforted, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that, underline, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. James 4, 5. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he, yearnestly, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He's also given us his word to dwell in us. Galatians, excuse me, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, tabernacle with you, in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He is tabernacling with us. He is dwelling with us. He is resting with us. Hear me and hear me and hear me. We are never alone, ever. 
His dwelling with us is not a weekend trip. It's not some visitors coming and spending a weekend with us and going home. He's a permanent resident of our hearts. He dwells in us. Whatever you're facing, you're not facing it alone. You're never alone. Every day of your life, you are physically walking with God. He's there. Whether you sense him or not, he's there. Whether you feel him or not, he's there. Because our faith is in his word. And faith is not based on feeling. It's based on fact and trust. And God is walking with us. I think that we need to appropriate this presence like breathing. When I was on staff with Campus Crusade almost 50 years ago, Dr. Bill Bright, I had the privilege of, of chaperoning, chaperoning, no, driving him around. I don't, he doesn't need a chaperone. Uh, in El Paso, it was called Here's Life El Paso. And he and Vanette were in the backseat, and I got to drive them hours here and there. And he was, I was talking to him about spiritual breathing, and, 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 and he talked about spiritual breathing. He said, we need to exhale our sins and confess to God and inhale our newness of life and appropriation of the Holy Spirit. You can go for, I think, a few days without water, not very long, uh, several weeks, I guess, without food, but you can't go very long without breath. And I'm going to show you uh, a little example. I want you all, when I say so, to hold your breath. And I'm going to count. And when you can't hold it anymore, raise your hand. Ready? Hold your breath. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, 1,005, 1,006, 1,007, 1,008, 1,009, 1,010, 1,011, 1,012, 1,013, 1,014, 1,015, 16, there's a hand, 1017 with the hands, 18, 1019, 1020, 21, 1022. Okay, breathe, I'm worried. <laughs> minutes, minutes you can't live without breathing, without the fresh oxygen that, that keeps your heart and your brain going. And I submit to you, we cannot exist in a spiritual walk with God unless we breathe him in moment by moment. The presence of God. I could read more scriptures. He dwells in us. He resides in us. If, look him up yourself. I hope we would believe that he dwells in us. His spirit is within us. He's a part of each one of us. And now here's my but. But we also have his power. In addition to the presence of God, we have the power of God. I don't think we understand that power. I don't. I'm just trying to learn how. When we think of power, we think of man-made power. Way back when, we, we still do, we, we measure power in horsepower. Picture one horse pulling a plow, that's one horsepower. A lawnmower, Briggs and Stratton lawnmower, is maybe... Two to five horsepower, okay? A Corvette engine generates 650 horsepower. 
That's not a Corvette, but that's okay. <laughs> a jet engine is not measured in horsepower, but in pounds of thrust. And a jet engine creates 27,000 pounds of thrust. And then when we think of really big-time power, we think of nuclear power. Not just a nuclear bomb, but a nuclear reactor that can generate power to power the lights of an entire city. But perhaps the most visible, powerful thing we can look at is the sun, S-U-N. And according to Wikipedia, which is the fount of all wisdom, <laughs> and I quote, the sun generates its energy by nuclear fusion of hydrogen nuclei into helium. In its core, the sun fuses 500 million metric tons of hydrogen each second. The sun is just a star. It's just one star. There's millions and billions and gazillions of stars. We don't even know how many. God counts them, and he's named them. And he created that power that's in the star. So imagine the power that he has. We can't even comprehend it. But we have that power. God's power is unlimited. So if Christ dwells in us, God himself dwelling in us, then his power is with us. Why would we ever be afraid? Why would we consider ourselves to be weak? Why would we ever fear? We don't need to be afraid of Clarence's anymore. There's no giants too big for us. There are no walls too high to climb. Because there is no situation or circumstance in your life, no matter how threatening it is, how troubling it is, how worrisome it is, how fearful it is, that is above God's power. It is all beneath his feet. One of the things that we get from the sun, in addition to life-saving light, which we all need, either the plants would die, the planet would die, but we also get just this thing we call sunshine, S-U-N-S-H-I-N-E. And we're blessed in New Mexico to get lots of that sunshine. I just came from a conference in Vancouver, three days of rain. I said, please send it down here, and they did. It's going to rain again tomorrow. In North Dakota, where I grew up, there would be weeks and weeks that you wouldn't see the sun. People would call in and report a UFO, a bright yellow thing in the sky. <laughs> Without the sun, we don't have the light to walk. We don't have the light that we need. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light, give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Christ within us gives us the power, gives us his word, gives us the light. Second, or Colossians 2, 9 through 10, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to that fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Are you afraid? I get afraid. I get worried. I get discouraged. I feel like I've failed. 
I've tried everything I can and it hasn't worked. God doesn't see failure because he says, I'm going to be with you. We have to recognize and appropriate that power and that presence. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Making sure in mind, I can do all things through Christ. How do we appropriate that power? By surrendering our power, our limited, fleshly, pitiful power. Surrendering it and letting Christ work through us. That's very un-American. We are self-sufficient. We are self-starters. We raise ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're a powerful country. We don't need anybody else. It develops a pride in us that we don't need God. That's what the world says. I don't need God. We've got it so good in this country as compared to other countries. I was telling somebody about my travels to Tajikistan and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, all of those on your bucket list, I know. And I told somebody, I said, in my house, we have a refrigerator in our kitchen, a pantry. We have a freezer in the garage and an extra refrigerator. Keeping me fed is a full-time job. <laughs> Susie and Smith and I have more food in our refrigerator and garage and everything than people around the world have for months. They could live off what we have, you have in your house for months. But God is our provider. And, they do not, and when they accept Jesus Christ over in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and Belarus and Moldova and Ukraine and Siberia, they have everything. Because they recognize they have the presence of Christ in them. And that's all they need. Romans chapter 8, 37 to 39. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. That pretty well covers it. Or anything else in creation. That covers it. Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. The end of the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, he says at the end of the commission, and lo, I am with you always. That's a promise. That's a take it to the banker. That's where God is with us, his presence and his power. We are one in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus our Lord. What does fellowship mean to you? We, have, we gather this, do not forsake the fellowship, the gathering together. This is fellowship. That's why we need to be here every Sunday morning, to be in fellowship with each other. We go to our Sunday school class to have fellowship. We have fellowship meetings. That's a lot. I mean, fellowship is wonderful, and that's what God wants with us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants to be our friend. Psalm 136. His faithfulness and loving kindness endures forever. You can't tick him off. You can't separate yourself from him. He will not let you go. 
And if you start to wander away and you're the one of the sheep, one sheep of the flock that gets away, he's going to come after you because he wants that fellowship. He wants to be with you. Let's walk with him in the cool of the evening. Let's fellowship with him. Let's appropriate his love, his fellowship, and his power. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all its wisdom. We get his wisdom too. John 1 John 5.13, by this we know that we abide in him, tabernacle in him, dwell in him, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. We have the presence of Christ. We have the power of Christ. We have the wisdom of Christ. We never need to feel defeated. Hoffmantown has gone through some hard times, but through the faithfulness of our elders and council and leaders, what I pray for constantly and we need to, we are trusting God's presence within them. I don't, I don't trust me. Don't trust elders. Don't trust deacons. Trust that they are leaning and seeking God's presence. And that's what we need to pray about. And God will walk with us through whatever we're going through. And it's going to be glorious to see what he does. We have godly men and women who are leading this congregation. We may not agree with them and everything. So what? Let's just walk with them and pray that they will continue to stay in God's presence. We're conquerors. It looks like in this world, with the morale, morality taking a dive off a cliff, that we're losing. Excuse me? We're conquerors in Christ through us. We don't give up. We pray that God will change the hearts and minds of people and turn back to him. We need revival. But we can trust that God's presence is within us, his power is within us, his wisdom is with us, and that's what we've got to take to the world. There is S-U-N shine, and then there is S-O-N shine, the Son of God that shines within us. So I'm going to challenge you and myself to be sunshine. Remember that children's song? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. God will never take away his sun, S-O-N, shine. Let it shine. Let the world see your faith, your perseverance, the presence of God. Let the world see the presence of God in you. People have said sometimes the only Bible that people will ever read is you. And you have the light of God, you have the presence of God, and you have the power of God, and you have the wisdom of God. Let's go forth and let our light shine. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that gives us fact upon which we base our faith and our faith is in you, Father, and we trust and believe that you do dwell in us. For your word says over and over that you seek to have your presence to be with us. Thank you.
for that wonderful gift. We don't deserve it. And certainly when we are in sin or falling away or separating ourselves from you, we don't deserve your presence, but you won't leave us. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that. And God, there may be people here this morning, we're not going to have an altar call, but I want people to understand that right now they can have that presence of God. And if they're believers, Father, I want them to understand they have the presence of Christ in them. They have the power of Christ in us. Let us not be afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Be with us, Father, as we take your light to shine in the world, a world of darkness, a world of discouragement, a world of frustration, a world of pain, a world of suffering that so desperately needs your light and your life. Let us be your messengers. Let us go forth, not under our power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ within us. Thank you for this time in your word this morning. I ask you to bless your word and honor your word, and may we go forth with only one purpose, and that is to bring you praise and honor and glory. We thank you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, thank you. Thank you.